Before we get going, I just have to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to every single chiropractor who cares for children, to every single chiropractic assistant who props us up on a daily basis, and every single chiropractic patient who values what we do. It has been and continues to be an absolute honor to care for the folks in my community. If you are being turned on to our podcast by a friend or family member, but are not under chiropractic care, my hope, my wish is that you find a chiropractor in your town and see what true principled chiropractic care can do for you, your children, and your family. This show is committed to engaging the docs who perform miracles in their offices to help better understand what we do and how you can benefit. For more information, please visit my clinic on the web at www.chirobeacon.com or call us from the continental United States at 805-481-1566. If we can't see you, we'll find you someone who can. Today's podcast is brought to you by our very good friends at Practice Evolution Prime. Practice Evolution Prime was created to bridge the gap from school to success. You can be successful, you should be successful, and being successful takes work. You have to gain the skills and foundation to be the sought-after family chiropractor, and our goal is to create extraordinary family chiropractors. This program is not easy. It will challenge you. It will push you. We choose to only work with doctors and students who are teachable, principled, and willing to work hard to improve their skills, practice, and their lives. If you're interested in learning more about this program and to apply, or if you are a patient looking for a PEP Prime doctor, visit our website, peppprime.com. That's peppprime.com, or call the Practice Evolution Program at 801-281-1646. Hey everyone, and welcome to the KiddoCast for Chiropractic Families, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care for children by sharing the experiences of doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk with pillars in the alternative healthcare world to give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics and the director of the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach, California. Today, guys, we got my good buddy, Dr. Ian Davis Tremaine. Since 2008, Dr. Ian Davis Tremaine, D.C., has been fortunate to see thousands of clients in his personal clinic, Upper Cervical Chiropractic of Marin in Mill Valley, California. His personal mission is to change as many lives as possible, whether the client can afford care or not. Dr. Tremaine was one of these clients himself. Suffering from years of insomnia since childhood, he was blessed to receive a knee chest upper cervical adjustment that changed his life forever, thus allowing him to live a life medication-free and inspiring him to share this gift with the rest of the world. Dr. Tremaine is the co-founder of the Upper Cervical Revolution, where he trains other chiropractors and chiropractic students how to become the future leaders in the upper cervical community. He realizes that the best way to touch the world is through the hands of his students. In addition to studying knee chest upper cervical, Dr. Tremaine has completed the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association's training in pediatrics, pre- and postnatal care, and the Webster Technique for in utero constraint. He also organizes chiropractic mission trips every year to serve the less fortunate. Dr. Tremaine knows that with every breath of life, there is hope. Now, guys, in, in my experience, um, you know, Dr. Ian uh, is, is really, he's a true young scientist philosopher in our profession. And um, I, I think one of those rare breaths of fresh air, uh, Ian and I uh, are kindred spirits when it comes to music and beards and fitness and tattoos. <laughs> um, Ian, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm really happy that you're here. 
Right on. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate being here. Cool. Um, will you do me a favor? Uh, I was wearing my UCR shirt in practice yesterday, and I had a new patient come in um, who uh, <laughs> is not familiar with upper cervical care. Um, and uh, because she knows I take care of a lot of pregnant women, she thought uh, that maybe it meant something else. Could you do me a favor and uh, just touch, uh, touch base with the listeners and kind of let them know what um, upper cervical care is and uh, what UCR is all about? <clears throat> totally. Yeah, yeah. So upper cervical care is it's much different than we think normal traditional chiropractic would be. Um, as an upper cervical practitioner, we specialize on the first and second bone in the neck, which seems limited, but it's actually quite a broad range of, uh, of opportunities there because inside of those two bones is what's called the brainstem. And the brainstem is like the little tail end of the brain that uh, controls everything automatic in your body. So whatever you're not thinking about doing, it does for you, including like digestion, heart rate, blood pressure, how you interpret pain, your sleeping cycles, all those things will be controlled directly by that brainstem. But it sits inside those two bones. So when those two bones move out of place or slightly misaligned, we're talking like maybe a millimeter, maybe one or two degrees, um, it's gonna cause pressure or torsion on the brainstem. And any pressure or torsion on any part of the nervous system doesn't allow it to function properly. So as an upper cervical practitioner, we're trying to figure out exactly where those bones are so you know exactly how to correct them so we can now have your brain and your body communicate more properly. Um, but most importantly, as a pediatric upper cervical chiropractor, I'm looking for early onset birth trauma that most doctors in, in many professions or realms won't be able to detect unless you're specifically looking for this, which is called a subluxation. I mean, the very first or second bone is out of place. Um, so that's what we do specifically. Um, for instance, I, I adjust my kids at four minutes old each. So uh, we adjust them immediately after birth to make sure that we can help prevent things down the road. Um, now, upper cervical revolution, though, is where I train other doctors to do this with adults and children. And I think UCR, you know, was was a really great experience for me because, I mean, you you know me. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a reformed uh, allopathic chiropractor. Um, you know, I started you know as a chiropractor, you know, really just kind of wanting to fix myself from years and years of sports injuries. I know you're you're kind of the same um, yeah. to a certain degree. Um, but you know, my, my journey in, in principal subluxation based chiropractic has been, has been tumultuous. Um, it's, it's been a steep learning curve. And so I spent some time with Ian a few years ago, really digging into kale and, and knee chest care. Um, I was already, you know, utilizing a tonal approach that emphasized the importance of Atlas C1, C2. Um, but it, it really, it really hit home, you know, when I started studying with Ian and his acolytes, um, and especially digging into the traditional philosophy of chiropractic, um, that upper cervical care is just, it's crucially important, right? And this podcast really focuses on the importance of chiropractic care for kids. You brought up birth trauma. Um, you know, birth is, is becoming one of those things where most of the time it's traumatic for both mom and baby, especially to the mm -hmm. upper cervical complex. And that kiddo is the kiddo is engaging. Um, will you, will you talk to that a little bit and, and how your approach can address those issues? Yeah, so I would say about 99% of the traumas or the births that I am a part of, because I'll actually be a part of the birth if I need to be, 
um, are, are definitely traumatic. And you can imagine like a, a baby during contraction, the head sitting on the cervix and being pushed on, but not being able to move any further than the cervix. So getting scrunched up, um, the very first two bones in the neck are very unstable. Um, they're the only bones in the whole spine that don't have interlocking joints, meaning that they don't um, connect to the one below them uh, to where they can't move out. Where well, the ones below typically like C3 and down, so the lower the lower spine, those ones can't go any further than the one below them. Whereas C1 and C2, the first two bones can go very far and twist very far out of place. Uh, when you take a baby's head and scrunch it up against the cervix, or for instance, when a baby is vaginally born, they typically kind of get assisted by the midwife or the doctor and kind of get corkscrewed out. That can take the very first bone and twist it and then lock it into a misaligned state. So what I do is try to help that get corrected immediately so the baby doesn't have to adapt to a misalignment. And they can adapt now to having a free nervous system because that bone is not out of place. And as, as a baby, before, well, I should say after they're born, they're still very cartilaginous. So they're very pliable, um, which is good and bad. And in a way, it's really good because we are easily able to correct it and it can hold because our goal is not to adjust. Our goal is for them to get the adjustment and not need it all that often. Mm. Um, but the older they get, the harder those bones get. And they end up walking in that place and not being able to move on its own. They can't correct itself. Yeah, I mean, and so, it's and we know that if it if it is left, you know, for longer periods of time, it becomes more and more difficult to correct. Um, right. Which is why Doctor yeah. Ian and I, you know, it, we both attend births, especially when they're at home. We want to check and adjust if necessary the babies uh, within, you know, as soon as humanly possible. I tell my parents that I want to try to check within three days or so. Um, at the very outset, uh, but if I can get to it right at the very beginning, it makes it considerably easier. But you know, we we've really undersold the the importance of allowing you know our moms to labor naturally. We've undersold the importance of minimizing you know medical impact in our birth, uh, which is why our C-section rate is three times higher than is recommended by the World Health Organization. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in my office, you know, the type of office that I run, you know, the, the, a large majority of the children that I see have developmental delays. And this year is no exception. You know, already in 2017, I've started care with three children with deformational plagiocephaly issues and torticollis. Um, no doubt in my mind related to a traumatic birth. Um, Atlas C1, C2, and, and all the cranial bones, which, uh, you know, should be overlapping well and symmetrically in these children's cases are just way out of whack. Um, the biggest problem that I see related to that, honestly, is feeding issues, right? Babies can't turn their heads. They can't reach the nipple. They can't root. They can't suckle. And those are two of the most primitive programs that babies have. Um, in your practice, uh, I imagine you see uh, some similar things. Um, can, can you speak to the type of things that you see in your practice with young kids? Yeah, I mean, one I'd say the most common two things I see or for the chief complaint would be that the baby is not latching properly or not feeding, um, starting to lose weight, failure to thrive, um, or so the medical doctor will say fail, failure to thrive. Um, that's one. And then the other one would be colic, um, very colicky babies. And colic is actually, uh, typically from what I found, I, and you can, you can add to this if you'd like, but 
I'm starting to notice that colic isn't necessarily just an upper cervical thing because your, your brainstem does control your, your stomach and typically colic is a gassy stomach issue that the baby can't relieve itself. But also these car seats that most people are using, they're like a big bucket mm. and they, they have one curve and then the apex of that curve is right at around T7 to T10, so like the mid-back of the baby. Mm. And those nerves directly control the stomach. Mm. So not only were we just going to check C1, C2, but we're also going to check the mid-back and the low-back to make sure that's cleared up so that these nerves are freely functioning so they can uh, relieve that gas or not even have the gas buildup or the air buildup that they have in their tummy. But the other things we see are... are way more intense like we have a lot of autistic kids that come in we have kids who uh who have really bad add or adhd which in my opinion is just overdiagnosed. it's typically just a kid who's having a great time mm. my opinion mm. um but for instance we had a we had a kid come in yesterday who's 23 months and just diagnosed with autism but everything that the mother described didn't lead to autism mm. at all in any way not even on any part of the spectrum it sounds like she has a two-year-old uh, the, the kid was making great eye contact. The kid was socializing just fine. The, the kid just didn't really like to eat purified or pureed food or they didn't like to, uh, have someone feed her. She wanted to feed herself, you know, and these are all things the pediatrician was telling her was wrong. And when I think back, it just sounds like what my son sounded like at two years old. Yeah. So I'd say a lot of things also come in from fear. So these parents are, are put into fear that something's wrong with their kid when, we look at it, and I know Dan does, you do as well, but I look at things as what's right with the kid. Right. And how can we accentuate what's right with you? How can we release you from the wrong and put you into the right? Because every kid that comes in is just a complete, beautiful specimen that we get to rebuild and reconnect with the source, and it's really cool. Um, that, so we try to get the fear out, the, the fear out of this. That reconnection that you're describing, that that's super important, I think, for us to discuss because you're right. Um, the majority of the patients that end up in my office, especially my sicker kids, the kids that are having a harder time, um, they end up there because they have nowhere else to go, right? right? I think parents are starting to get really tired of people telling them what the heck is wrong. Um, and Honestly, I think there's also a trust issue there, right? Because a lot of the time we're telling parents that there's things wrong with their children when, in fact, you're absolutely correct. There isn't really anything wrong. It's just more a product of our children's toxic environment than it is that there's something broken in our kiddo. Um, you know, with with the children that I see, you know, quite frequently, again, I, I, I'm almost positive that this is the same environment that you have. Um there, there are common denominators. Um, and, you know, you described in, in young children who are colicky that we see frequent lower thoracic problems. Um, one of the most primitive things that we see neurologically with our children is that, you know, at about three to four months, we want them to be able to lift their heads up. And I talked about this with Stan uh, in our first podcast quite exhaustively. Um, but children who have had a lot of trauma cannot do that because atlas and or c2 uh and occiput are subluxated in such a way that they're just mechanically locked out and that doesn't even account for all the other potential neurological problems that can occur mm -hmm. so if a children a child cannot lift his head up and cannot scan and pan or write himself um, there will also be a lot of what are called coupled problems with the rest of the thoracic spines which means they're not going to be able to move it to extension and you brought up this car seat issue 
<laughs> we, we've moved from a culture where, you know, babies need to really be attached to mom and to a, a certain degree to dad, um, you know, you know, up on their chests uh, or in carriers or in wraps. Um, but now, you know, a lot of my new babies come in through the door and they spend most of their lives in that car seat, which turns into more of a carrier as well. And they're pushed into this flexion sort of sort of fetal position mm. and it prevents them really from expressing that innate program, which is to extend and look up at the horizon and start to kind of curiously look at things. Um, I think that's a huge component to subluxation and contributes to all sorts of the things that we, we see in our offices. Yeah. Um, let me, let me ask you this, uh, with, with your babies, Corbin and Nova, um, they were both born at home. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about their experiences? Because these two kids, man, they are they are stinking healthy, um, and they're the epitome, I think, of what we as chiropractors would hope for for our children and for our patients. Yeah, I mean, the, they both were very different births and very different pregnancies. Uh, Corbin, he's four and a half now, but when uh, my wife was pregnant with him, she pretty much had some headaches every once in a while. Kind of didn't really like a lot of certain foods, but he came out feet first. In fact, he was one of the one of few breech babies that we weren't able to help right themselves to head down position. But uh, I, I like to think that breech birth is actually just another form of normal. Hmm. Um, the the problem we have with breech births this this day and age is that no one's really trained in them. They're trained in C sections. Uh, when it comes to like the the medical doctors or even the midwives, they're not really trained in it either. So. When we found out that we were breech, it was the year before it became illegal to do this at home in California, but we decided to hire a midwife who specialized in breech care or breech births, and um, we went for it. He came out feet first, came out super healthy, uh, really no issues. The birth was seven hours. The whole whole birthing process was seven hours long from a water break until he was out. Um and he still likes to sleep with his feet crossed the same way he came out. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the one thing that's different with uh, Breach is that since they, they uh, come out feet first, they don't get the opportunity for the cervix and the contractions to push the fluid out of his lungs. So we did have to suction him and get him breathing. Um, but he wasn't dead or anything when he came out. He was actually just fine. Uh, it's like you got to cough up some water that you inhaled while you're swimming. So... That worked out just fine. He was a everything's good. Um, he's still a little rascal, and he uh, he keeps me on my toes. He's my best friend for sure. Um, but Nova, Nova, her her pregnancy was uh, morning uh, sickness for nine months straight. It was brutal, and her her water, my wife's water broke tw- about twenty four hours before she was born. Um, and she also had GBS at the same time, so we had a we had a very short window to make sure that Nova came out. And GBS is a for some people who don't know that's like a bacterial infection of the water that uh, comes out when you're when you're having a baby. Um, so we we still stuck with the home birth. We had a kind of a shorter window, um, but when she actually decided to come out, I, I, let me step back a, a second, Dan, because. I should say that during that 24 hours, we were not having contractions. Um, we did the uh, um, the castor oil. We did um, acupressure points and everything. And the thing that got my wife into labor, which is kind of crazy, is the Webster technique. Hmm. Um, and normally we use that for in utero constraint. But 
I did some Webster on her, and within two minutes, she was in full-blown labor, <laughs> and her contractions were two and a half minutes apart. I'm laughing um, because my CA, uh, Shireen, who most of my patients know, was a surrogate uh, two years ago, and uh, she's in the middle of her second surrogacy pregnancy. And um, she started going into labor uh, at home and uh, stalled out a little bit. And uh, I showed up at the house, and I did some Webster work with her, and Liggity split contraction yeah. city. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like full blown. Here we go. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, the, the midwives literally made it as her head was coming out and she was slipping out. Mm. Uh, so I was prepared to catch her. <laughs> and uh, and I used to be a medic, so uh, like a paramedic. So I, I got the training, but it's not something I really wanted to do with my children. To tell you the truth. <laughs> um, but when she came out, she was good. Uh, no issues there. I checked both kids within four minutes of their birth. They both had an atlas subluxation. That was corrected immediately. Um, and they both started feeding immediately after that adjustment. Mm. So we did the nipple crawl with both of them. Uh, I don't know how much people know about that, but you can put the baby on your tummy and then they crawl up and find the nipple. Mm. And both of them were headed there and couldn't kind of latch on. And when I did the upper cervical adjustment, they both immediately latched. Yeah. That's a primitive, primitive motor program, right? And I think we need to spend more emphasis in, in our birthing culture, you know, allowing our children to do that, right? They need to be able to root right. and they need to be able to find the target. Um, you know, and our babies are born in the hospital uh, and they don't have um, access to mama or, you know, there's all these tests and things being done and, and we delay that, you know, it delays a primitive neurological program, which, which puts all sorts of other delays uh, into the baby's um, uh, um, biological healing directive, right? Yeah, and this is, this is also why it's really important to have that birth plan. No matter if you're having a home birth or hospital birth, that birth plan is really important. And one of the things you need to make sure you specify in there is this this uh, nipple crawl. Um, that's that's super important. That right when your baby's born, whether C-section or not, that baby should be on your chest and being able to find your nipple. And um, that's typically taken away from the mom and baby. And, and everything I think works in threes. And you know, the first three minutes of life is pretty important. Um, hence why the goop in the eyes is also a great thing to avoid if you don't have gonorrhea and you know that. You don't need the goop in the eyes, so you can avoid that as well. Um, so the baby can immediately make connection eye to eye with you and also help find the nipple. Mm. L let me ask you this, dude, because, you know, one of the first times that I ever really started to 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 get clarity on the traditional chiropractic side of correcting vertebral subluxation was when I spent, you know, time with you going through volume 18 of our, of our philosophy, right? I, I mean, that's now one of my favorite books, and I go back to it all the time. Um, volume 18 is a um, is one of our, our our foundational philosophic texts called uh, the subluxation specific the adjustment specific and it's it it really goes into you know what what a subluxation actually looks like uh, especially in the upper cervical complex and what it means to be corrected right because most of the parents that come through the door you know when i first talk to them if they've never been to a chiropractor they'll tell me you know like well i don't really know a lot about this chiropractic thing i was just told that you know my friend had this and you know, I should come and see you. Um, but, but a lot of parents are scared because they perceive chiropractic in a way that it isn't, uh, it really isn't. I mean, it's, they perceive it as this violent procedure and, and really for young kiddos and even for adults, it's not violent at all. There's a lot of specificity that goes along with it and, uh, and it's fairly gentle, but you know, BJ Palmer, who, you know, who wrote this volume, um, you know, he's really the first guy that I really ever read that put an emphasis on clearing right 
clearing right. is is a phenomenon that in chiropractic college we were never exposed to at least at my school and now it's the cornerstone of my practice right we do not push our patients to be adjusted until you know until they die we want them to stay clear right we want them to hold yeah. an adjustment or not need to be adjusted and i find that the kids that i take care of from the day they're born don't need it a lot i check them pretty frequently but most of the time they're clear, which is great. It means that everything is working the way that it's supposed to. You know, I'm curious in your office, um, you know, when, when you're checking kiddos, you, you obviously see a correlation there. Um, uh, with upper cervical care with knee chest, I mean, you're seeing kiddos probably a little bit less than I am. Um, but still, I mean, on average, what would you say, how long really on average would you say that your kiddos are, are staying clear? Well, I'd say that in, the, in the very beginning, I like to see my kids once or twice a week just for like two weeks. Like that's it, and that's to actually monitor whether or not they're holding the adjustment. Typically, kids are holding their first adjustment for at least a week to two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'm really just monitoring them, making sure everything else is cool. Um, but the after about a month of care, those kids are typically holding for about a three to four weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think it's. And the, it, it's... I, I just want to add to that though is that when kids have been on, been with me for I'm talking about from like. Like newborns and toddlers, they've been with me for, I don't know, maybe like six months or so. Mm -hmm. They're definitely holding every like six to eight weeks at right. that point. I, I would concur with that. The kids that I've been seeing since the day they were born, you know, once we've we've corrected any issues that are there, I still like to check my kiddos in my office every couple of weeks just to be safe. But most of the time, these kids are holding for minimum eight weeks. I mean, I have some kids in my office that will hold for 12 weeks, right? And it's right. that's amazing. That's that's what we want. That's what all chiropractors are looking for exactly. is for that program to, to be expressed at its fullest. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, one of my interns bought us a bell that we hung up on the wall um, for people to ring when they're clear. And I think – it shifts the script a little bit, right? It's important for people to emphasize the outcome, which is not the adjustment. The adjustment is a tool, right? We right. want our patients to be clear, and that's where they exactly. get the miraculous results. And the, the thing with, with upper cervical, and I think this should be also with, with most, most chiropractic techniques in general, but the adjustment should be looked at something that you don't want to have, have to happen. So when somebody walks into our office, you don't immediately assume that they need an adjustment. We're going to do every test possible. It's objective to make sure that if we're doing the adjustment, we're doing it because they need it, not because they want it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I love when people come in and don't need an adjustment. And if we've educated it properly, they're like, I don't? That's great. And then they'll, I'll see you next week. You mm. know, it's like, it's that simple. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, really? Well, can you just like crack my neck real quick? You mm. know, it's like. If you do the education properly and people understand the importance of holding an adjustment, just like not needing a cavity filled or not needing your appendix to be taken out, you know, like it's that important to us. I, and, and the other difference with it, too, is that you you got to understand when the bone's out of place and it's actually caused or it's it's taking away life force mm -hmm. when your brain and your body aren't talking to each other like you have brain congestion and body starvation of information because that one bone is out of place, you're slowly losing that life force. Yeah. And it's it's literally taking away time in your in your life, whether it's like actually like time at the end mm. or not enjoyment with what you're doing. So we gotta make sure that when when that's happening, that we know when it's happening and how to correct it, but also to make sure that if you are holding your adjustment, that we're not gonna do something to create a trauma such as a bad adjustment, mm. or I'd say manipulation,
because that's a that's a negative thing. We don't want to push it to the other side. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, and that's so you bring up two things. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, you bring up two things that I think are really important. Number one, um, the, the idea that that a manipulation itself is axiomatic in the sense that you go into a chiropractor's office and you get the, what we call the flying seven, which is crack, 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 crack. Um, is actually traumatic. It's actually bad. It feels good initially because you get that endorphin release from the joint actually uh, moving beyond what's called the paraphysiologic space. And so, yeah, it does It does feel good. It breaks the pain cycle if there is any soreness, but it doesn't remove the subluxation. There's still neurological dissonance in the system. Um, right. That's That's number one. Um, but number two, and I was laughing under my breath. I was trying really hard not to interrupt you because, you know, you, you brought up a really, really important point, which is when people come into a chiropractor's office like mine, like yours, and like all of our, our colleagues who really study hard on this stuff and want the best for our patients, there's a little bit of a difference, a disconnect between what people want and what they need. And the reason I was laughing so hard is because I'm noticing a dialogue. I'm noticing a trend amongst chiropractors, especially in the state of California where covered California pretty much doesn't cover chiropractic care, where chiropractors are moving towards just giving people what they want so they can get paid. Now, this isn't just unique amongst chiropractors. This is unique to all healthcare professionals in this state because primary care is drying up and doctors need to get paid. Unfortunately, that's why we also have one of the sickest cultures in the entire world. We just right. keep giving people what they want. A chiropractic is different because we're starting with an emphasis on what is right, which is what Dr. Ian talked about before. And if we can just remove some of those obstacles that are making people sick, fat, and dumb, we'll see a huge increase in health and vitality in our populations. We start with the kids, make sure that they're healthy. We change all of their genomics right from the very get-go so that they can raise healthy kids and healthy grandkids and healthy great-grandkids. And then instantaneously, it's a huge trajectory change in the healthcare consciousness of the culture, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you've got tons of words on this. I, I'd be interested to hear what your ideas are with respect to what you see in Marin and what people want versus what they need. Well, first of all, I can, like where I live is a very affluent area. So everyone's smarter than you. That's kind of, that's kind of like the mentality of it. Um, the thing, the thing that we have to stop doing as a as a culture in general, not just where I'm from, where everyone's from, is we gotta stop playing doctor. Okay, we gotta stop playing doctor for not a doctor. Like I'm not gonna go to a police officer and say, "Hey, you're not doing your job because you didn't arrest that guy," so I'm just gonna do it for you. <laughs> like we're not gonna do that, you know. <laughs> Hence, I'm not gonna go into even my medical doctor's office and say, "But Google says," because if I truly trust my medical doctor, which you should trust any doctor you go to. And that's kind of another whole issue. A lot of people just feel like they can't even trust who they see. But if you trust them full heartedly, then you shouldn't have any questions for them. Mm. You know, meaning you shouldn't question them. So when people come in and, and they want to tell me what they want, and I say, Well, have you seen a chiropractor before? Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. How'd that work out? <laughs> Clearly you're here, so it didn't work out very well because mm. you're dictating the care and not letting them dictate the care. Mm. But most chiropractors are jumping into that as well. Yeah. And they're you're which what you're saying is that they're they're saying, Listen, I want you to come in and I just need to get paid, so I'll do whatever you want. In yeah. fact, you know, I'm gonna rub your bunions, and I'm gonna put a laser on your butt, and I'm gonna maybe say, Hey, that's chiropractic too, and make myself feel good about it because you got a sub sub uh subdermal subluxation. Yeah. And just make up words for it. Yeah. Because it'll make you feel like at least you're doing something chiropractic when in, in 
wholeheartedly they're not doing anything chiropractic right uh, but you're getting paid you know so i i like to think of like the uh the old chinese philosophy of medicine is that you pay when you're healthy and you don't pay when you're sick meaning when you come into my office you're paying for the visit you're not paying for the adjustment yeah and the yeah. adjustment's not a bonus the adjustment is something that's negative I'm like, oh man, we gotta adjust you today. Yeah, BJ talked about that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. He talked about all the time, and he'd say that he said about 58% of his adjustments would hold for at least a month. Mm. That's pretty cool, you know. The holding concept, the being clear, the idea that you don't need to have someone just take care of you all the time, that your body can take care of itself as long as there's no no uh, interference. Mm. That's a pretty strong concept in our our society, especially in America, has no idea about that. Yeah, we're doing everything possible to be sick yeah. because we honestly like to identify by our sickness. Yeah, and it's not just a matter of uh, trying to be sick. I think it's a, it's a matter of trying to be in denial, right? I, I think yeah. I think there's a premium on being, like you said, like having a label. Right. I mean, in our profession, you know, probably in the last you know five or six years since I graduated, one of the probably one of the most prominent movements outside of pure, true chiropractic has been in functional medicine. Mm-hmm. And when people come to the door uh, with the functional medicine docs that, you know, I, I refer to because, you know, I, I like some of these guys. I think they do really, really good work. It's not chiropractic per se, but I, I like that they're able to help patients get healthy. But the patients come to the door and they assign themselves a diagnosis, right? Oh, right. I have Hashimoto's or, oh, I've got rheumatoid or, oh, I've got lupus or, oh, you know, I've got PCOS, right? That's me. Well, no, yeah, it's not. That's my identity. I identify by my migraines. I identify right. by my diabetes. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think chiropractors, you know, like, like you are doing a really good job of, like I said before, trying to flip the script and, and putting an emphasis on what it's really like to feel healthy. I think, you know, really when, when patients understand that being healthy is so much more rewarding than being being sick, that's when the true emphasis uh, on, on health starts to take over. And when it comes to little babies, I tell people all the time, right, it, it's okay if you doubt chiropractic. I'm totally cool with that. But you ever want to see and learn more? There's two things that you need to see happen. You need to see a master adjust an animal and see what happens, and you need to see a master adjust a baby because totally. those those – uh, entities, those organisms, right? They they do not have the same sort of uh, prefrontal cortex dissonance that adults do, right? It's not as much of a right. cognitive effect. They're primitive, beautiful, pure organisms. And when there's interference in the system and you remove it, perfection comes out, right? Yep. So, um, yeah, you know, man, I, this has been a really good convo. I always love talking to you, especially, you know, when we're talking about Cairo and we're not talking about, you know, like deathcore and heavy metal and all the other <laughs> stuff that we typically talk about. So um, I'd love to have you back on the cast, man. Um, will, you, will you do me a favor? Will you uh, just leave a little plug for UCR? Because I know there are some students and chiropractors who are listening. I think they'd love to hear from you. Yeah, for sure. Um, with Upper Server Revolution, which we have, we have a f- uh, five locations right now. Um, we have the Bay Area in California. We have St. Louis, Atlanta, South Carolina, and Dallas, Texas. Um, we our our goal is to not just make upper cervical chiropractors. As as a Dr. Dan's a great example. Of this is that he's not an upper cervical chiropractor, but now he has the knowledge and the tools in order to utilize to make sure he's correcting the upper cervical complex correctly, um, and not just guessing. And the upper cervical revolution is really to make sure that you 
know that you're not taking, you're not making any guesswork. You're starting to use something as specific as possible to correct the most important part of the spine and not hurting anyone, but also making sure you can change some lives. Um, you can become an upper cervical chiropractor specifically or not. We just want to make sure that you understand exactly how to correct it and know when to correct it and also know when to leave it alone. Mm. If you're if you're listening um, and you want to get more information, you guys can find Dr. Ian at uh, www.ucrevolution, ucrevolution, yep. right, dot <laughs> com. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, I encourage you to check it out. Um, it, it was really a profound experience for me. And as Ian said, I'm not a knee chest guy. Um, I, I do care for my family. Uh, in a knee chest model. Um, I love the technique. It's a beautiful, beautiful technique. Um, I, I just have a different infrastructure in my office. And if anything, and, and you know this about me, the one thing that I'm most grateful to Dr. Ian for, aside from all the philosophical understanding, is what knee chest training has done to my ability to torque an adjustment. And this won't make any sense to any of our patients, but it will certainly make sense to doctors who are listening and students. Um, the training that I received and the ability to actually create a positive uh, torque in uh, the type of adjusting that I do is second to none as a result of going through through knee chest and, and kale training. Um, Ian, thanks a lot, brother. I, I really appreciate you being on the cast. We'll definitely have you on another time. And for those of you guys who are listening, please looking it up, check them out. If you guys need a referral in uh, the Bay Area um, and, uh, and you're looking for somebody who, who wants to take care of your kids, Ian is definitely your guy. All right, guys, that's pretty much all the time that we have for now. Um, I will definitely look forward to seeing you next week, and uh, we'll go from there. Take care, everybody. Bye.